This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. So much for that allegedly conservative Supreme Court, huh? Boy, is that disappointing. Yesterday's decision handed down by the Supreme Court, a 6-3 decision in the case of Bostock v. Clayton County, Georgia. This actually was a consolidation of that funeral home case that Alliance Defending Freedom has been working on, Harris Funeral Homes, and the man who had worked there for a number of years and decided he wanted to dress as a woman in front of these clients who were having funerals for their loved ones and the funeral home Business obviously said no. Uh, So that was one of the cases. Another one of the cases was Bostock and another one was Zarda v. Altitude Express. This was all about whether or not employers were discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation and or gender identity. And good old Justice Neil Gorsuch said, hey, I know Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 didn't probably mean sex, but times change. And now let's just define sex as sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, keep in mind, when you're going back to Title VII in federal civil rights law, they had no concept of transgenderism. They would have looked at us like we'd lost our minds. And by the way, we have. They would have been completely justified in looking at us as if we had lost our minds. They had no concept of somebody being a homosexual being something that the federal civil rights law ought to talk about or protect. Are you kidding me? Think of 1964. I wasn't even alive in 1964. But think back several decades. Nobody had any idea what was to come down the pike as far as all of the gender insanity. Gorsuch, though, it's fine. It's fine. This is what he wrote in part. An individual's homosexuality or transgender status is not relevant to employment decisions. It isn't? Well, let me just stop for a moment. When we're talking about the funeral home case, if you had a loved one die, that is a very stressful, horrible time in your life, and you're working on the funeral plans, and you're meeting with the funeral director, and you're so preoccupied and overwhelmed and stressed out and in deep grief over the loss of your loved one, and this guy in a dress walks up. Is that going to help you? Now, now I know that's very judgmental and very horrible and very, very, very transphobic if you want to buy into the language of the left, which I don't. But let's just be honest about this. That's what the consideration was of the funeral home. This isn't fair to the clients. Let's not add any burdens to their already deep grief and have some kind of strained situation where someone who's obviously of the opposite sex to their attire is going to come up and potentially make things awkward and more stressful for them. Kind of common sense, right? No, no, no. I guess it's just discriminatory for this employer to do what he was trying to do, which was let's not go this direction. And that was just such a terrible case anyway. At any rate, this is where we are. 
This is where we are. And I, I really appreciated the way that Justice Samuel Alito addressed this in his dissent. He said there is only one word for what the court has done today, legislation. Now, that's a key takeaway because we understand from our basic civics instruction back in school. I don't know how much of that they do these days. But back in our basic civics instruction in school or history class, we learned the three branches of American government, the executive branch, the legislative branch and the judicial branch. And we understood and were taught properly that those three branches of government were to present checks and balances. Why is that? Because if you give too much power to any one branch of government, you can quickly have a tyranny. Now, nobody could have foreseen where we are today. That's another set of discussions. But But that's why we have it. And we have a judiciary that is to interpret the law. The Congress makes the law. So there are two different branches of government here when we're talking about making and interpreting the law. The Supreme Court just kind of lost that memo somewhere along the way, starting really with Obergefell. I suppose you could make the case that there are other times when the Supreme Court legislated from the bench in inappropriate ways, and and they have had some very bad decisions. There's no doubt about it. But let's just talk in the recent past. You had Anthony Kennedy writing that opinion in Obergefell. Oh, yeah, it would, it, it would just be stripping people of their dignity if we didn't redefine marriage as two men or two women. And just like that, 32 some states who had voted, their, their citizens had voted to protect marriage as between a man and a woman had all of their states' rights nullified in one sweeping decision from the Supreme Court. And I will tell you something, to this day, it makes me mad as a Christian in a righteous way that nobody, essentially nobody, fought back on that. Well, the Supreme Court said so, so. I don't know. I'm asking that question a lot these days. Maybe you are too. I'm looking at a lot of what is going on in this country and asking where are the good people standing up and and opposing it? Why aren't any of the good people ever out in the street? I'm not for protesting in a violent way. I I think that should be obvious. I don't want people looting and doing all of the things that these leftists are doing in the streets of our cities. I don't want anybody setting up autonomous zones. I don't want any lawlessness. I don't want any anarchy. But I'm asking myself again and again and again, why is it that the good people in this country will just sit in their homes and watch all of this happen and just sit there, just continue to sit there? I don't know if it's just you're so enthralled with Netflix or you're so tired from your long day. I'm not meaning to judge the entire American population. That's not my deal here. But I'm just wondering, what is it that would get people up off their chairs and out into the streets or out at a peaceful protest? I mean, we do it for the March for Life in January every year in Washington, D.C. Life and the cause of saving the, the precious little lives of unborn babies is important enough to us that thousands and thousands of people show up for that. Where are the marches for marriage? Where are the marches for Christians who are being, you know, having their rights stripped away? And this is the thing. What's going to happen now that you have taken the word sex and said it really just means sexual orientation and gender identity, even though we know darn well that they never had any concept of this kind of insanity back in 1964, and they're overlooking the fact that you have to take into account what was meant when the law was written. Because I'll tell you what, you are setting up a very scary scenario with this kind of activity for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons that comes to mind is if you can just have a Supreme Court look at a statute and say, well, today that's not really what that means. Times have changed. We're just going to look upon that law and just put a modern spin on it. You know, you might as well shred all the laws. 
just just get the laws, you know, put them through a shredder, get a big pair of scissors, snip, snip, snip. It doesn't mean anything anyway. Why don't we just wing it? We just wing it. And whoever has the most power on the Supreme Court will make the decision on how how law should actually be written. And and even if it's written in a bad way, you just override it. You just override it. Congress doesn't even do that. <laughs> Congress doesn't even do that. They have to pass legislation. Remember ENDA, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. Barney Frank introduced that legislation every single year for about 20 years. And every single time Congress was smart enough to say no. Why did they say no? They said no, because when you look at federal civil rights law, you are protecting immutable qualities. That means qualities that people are born with that they can't help and they can't remove. Things like race, things like sex. You're a woman and you can't become a man or and you can't become a woman if you're a man and you cannot change your skin color. And it is protecting you for your religious rights because that's protected under the First Amendment. That's why you have those categories in Title VII. They're either immutable characteristics that are being protected or your First Amendment rights are being protected. And Congress knew for years that sexual orientation and gender identity are invented categories and they're not immutable and people go back and forth as far as their sexual expression all of the time. You have people who've left homosexuality, you have people who were married, who go into homosexuality, you have people People who feel like a woman today and then later on they reverse the surgery. We've seen this a million times and they rightly saw that this is opening the door to complete chaos. Well, today you can look back on the decision of yesterday and say, well, we got our chaos now. I guess we didn't have enough chaos from the Obergefell decision. We've already seen some of the fallout from that against Christians like Jack Phillips. Get ready for more. What are the implications going to be from this horrible horrible decision. We'll be coming back, getting into more detail on some of these dissents in particular. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll be right back. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month. And there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to 
mom, thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, the Supreme Court has ruled that unelected officials and courts have the authority to redefine the law. They can just bypass Congress. They are now the legislative branch, apparently. I mean, maybe that's kind of like the sex, sexual orientation, gender identity thing. Maybe interpreting the law is, it kind of means making it. You see? Kind of like how sex means sexual orientation now and gender identity because Neil Gorsuch said so and had five buddies on the Supreme Court who backed him up. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, interpreting the law now means making it. Yeah, Constitution, Schmonstitution. Why do we have to worry about what that old, old document says? And this is a guy put on the court by President Trump as an alleged conservative. And by the way, Brett Kavanaugh, who we know we defended to the hilt to try to you know, pull off the liberals from him when he was being under assault over the Christine Blasey Ford bogus allegations. Brett Kavanaugh wrote a dissent, but I'm going to tell you in a minute why the dissent actually turned out to be horrifying. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But it's just incredible. Alito was the best one in this because he wrote a really good dissent. Here's part of what uh, Justice Samuel Alito had to say in response to this decision. The court tries to convince readers that it is merely enforcing the terms of the statute, but that is preposterous. Even as understood today, the concept of discrimination because of sex is different from discrimination because of sexual orientation or gender identity. And in any event, our duty is to interpret statutory terms to mean what they conveyed to reasonable people at the time they were written. If every single living American had been surveyed in 1964, it would have been hard to find any who thought that discrimination because of sex meant discrimination because of sexual orientation, not to mention gender identity, a concept that was essentially unknown at the time. The court attempts to pass off its decision as the inevitable product of the textualist school of statutory interpretation championed by our late colleague, Justice Scalia, but no one should be fooled. The court's opinion is like a pirate ship. It sails under a textualist flag, but what it actually represents is a theory of statutory interpretation that Justice Scalia excoriated, the theory that courts should update old statutes so that they better reflect the current values of society. Well, this is the essence of progressivism. Everything that's ahead of us is better. We can't possibly learn from the past every day in every way. We're getting better and better and better. Oh, it's fantastic. We have six square blocks in Seattle. Hold off as an autonomous zone and they can't get their goods and services. And so they're putting up posters asking people to please send over clothing and blankets. That's a great system, great anti-capitalist system you got going there. And the left is all for it. They're all for it. And you have violence in the streets and you have the Wendy's being set on fire in Atlanta over this cop uh, matter with shooting this man. I'm going to get to that in a couple of minutes. The left's fine with it. They're fine with the chaos. They love chaos. The problem is not enough Americans stop and say to themselves, what happens after the chaos? What are they going to do? I said recently on social media, people need to remember that the Soviet Union was all for police. Communists love police once they're in power. 
So it might start out as a revolution and it might start out as some sort of anarchist movement, but they love the cops as long as they're their cops. And boy, you've never seen cops with more power than the cops that are under the communists in the old Soviet Union and the communist bloc and places like North Korea, places like China, places like Cuba. Yeah, you wonder why so many people fled as fast as they could from some of those nations to come to the United States and are weeping their eyes out watching what the United States is becoming. It's incredible. It's an assault from every side. And I guess a lot of Christians probably are looking at this and saying to themselves, Lord, why is this happening? Just like I was discussing recently with the book of Habakkuk, with him pleading with the Lord, why are you letting these Chaldeans do what they're doing, Lord? Why, why, why? He says, I'm using them as an instrument of judgment. And he says, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Boy, are we there now, aren't we? We are there now. It's on every side. I mean, the the pandemic, they had some screenshot on social media where on one hand you had, um, you know, everybody criticizing the Lake of the Ozarks gathering. Remember that? The Lake of the Ozarks pool party and everybody was in the water and the leftist media was going crazy. Oh, these people aren't socially distancing. This is horrible and they're going to make everybody sick and they're all going to die. And then you turn around. Oh, look, it's the Black Trans Matter rally in New York. Look at all these wonderful tens of thousands of people gathering together to stand up for black trans lives. Uh, wait a minute. What am I missing here? So it's terrible. When people just want to go swimming, that's diabolical. But if people mark for, march for black trans lives, then it's wonderful. And if you have Jews wanting to get together in New York at their synagogues to have their services, de Blasio clamps down on them like a dictator. But if you have black trans lives rallies, then it's perfectly fine. You have looters, it's fine. Rioters, it's fine. Not a problem. I mean, the bloom is off the rose on that charade. We already know that that's bogus. But I want I want to go back to this decision yesterday, the Bostock decision, because it will have terrible implications. We don't completely know yet what the implications will be. But if they have just ruled that you can't discriminate based on sexual orientation and gender identity, then what in the world would stop them from forcing Christian schools to hire transgenders? Now, you had some kind of a a blanket statement here from Gorsuch. Oh, no. I mean, you don't worry about it. You know, s- religious liberty, you know, religious liberty is going to be part of it. And you're not going to really have to worry about this because we care about religious liberty. Here's what he says, for example. The employers fear that complying with Title VII's requirement in cases like ours may require some employers to violate their religious convictions. We are also deeply concerned with preserving the promise of the free exercise of religion enshrined in our Constitution. Oh, really, Gorsuch? Because if you were concerned about that, you would understand how you just undid it. And I think I'm going to be proven right down the road about that. That guarantee lies at the heart of our pluralistic society. Well, did you know that in the Equality Act, the gay activists want to remove any sort of religious exemptions? Did you know that, Justice Gorsuch, the alleged conservative? But worries about how how Title VII may intersect with religious liberties are nothing new. They even predate the statute's passage. As a result of its deliberations in adopting the law, Congress included an express statutory exception for religious organizations. Well, fine and dandy, Justice Gorsuch, but have you been paying attention to the culture war in the last several years? Because it never ends with a religious exemption, ever. Because that's not what these activists want. These activists want total control. They want to stamp out the church. They want to stamp out Christianity. I'm not saying they're hauling us off to gulags or anything like that. But they want the moral influence of the church completely snuffed out. 
Don't kid yourself. I've been following this movement intensely every single day for the last 11 years. And I know what these people are capable of and I know what their trajectory is and I know exactly where it's going and so do they. And for him to try to act like, oh, oh, RIFRA operates as a kind of super statute displacing the normal operation of other federal laws that might supersede Title VII's commands in appropriate cases. Oh, okay. So the Religious Freedom Restoration Act might supersede Title VII's commands in appropriate cases. But how are these doctrines protecting religious liberty and interacting with uh, Title VII questions for future cases, too? I mean, it's kind of like this ridiculous, well, you know, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Well, count me skeptical. Color me skeptical that it's going to be fine. Now, Kavanaugh, I was mentioning the Kavanaugh dissent in this case. Alito's uh, uh, dissent was actually very good in this case, but Kavanaugh didn't give me any confidence. He says in his dissent, like many cases in this court, this case boils down to one fundamental question. Who decides? I'm sorry, what? The the case does not boil down to one fundamental question. You know what? If you're going to have a fundamental question in this case, Brett Kavanaugh, here's your fundamental question. What in the world is sexual orientation and gender identity? I know what it means. I know how people use the terminology. I'm saying it's meaningless. It's made up. It's a recent invention. And you guys are trying to codify it as if it's on par with race, sex, and religion. I don't know. Maybe the fundamental question needs to be, why is the Supreme Court so insane? Maybe that's the question that it all boils down to. It seems to me, reading through some of these dissents and the decision, that that really is the appropriate question. Kavanaugh does acknowledge that Title VII does not prohibit employment discrimination because of sexual orientation. But his whole thing is, that's not our place. It has to be done by Congress. All right, that is a fair point. But then you get to the end. And here's what he says. Listen to this. And ask yourself if he would ever speak this way to conservative Christians. I don't know, maybe somewhere he has written something like this about Christians, but somehow I doubt it. Listen to this. This is Brett Kavanaugh. Notwithstanding my concern about the court's transgression of the Constitution's separation of powers, it is appropriate to acknowledge the important victory achieved today by gay and lesbian Americans. Millions of gay and lesbian Americans have worked hard for many decades to achieve equal treatment. In fact, and in law, they have exhibited extraordinary vision, tenacity, and grit, battling often steep odds in the legislative and judicial arenas, not to mention in their daily lives. They've advanced powerful policy arguments and can take pride in today's result. Does that sound like a conservative to you? Doesn't to me. It sounds like this guy is just kind of falling all over himself. He even made references elsewhere because judges interpret the law as written, not as they might wish it were written. The first 10 U.S. courts of appeals to consider whether Title VII prohibits sexual orientation discrimination all said no. So you like that little caveat? All the judges interpreted the law correctly, but, you know, they really wanted it to be different. That's what I'm taking away from what Brett Kavanaugh had to say. And I'm thinking... All right, you get a C maybe because you wrote a dissent and you didn't go the wrong way on this case. But, you know, you really didn't have to do the pom-pom routine to Big Gay at the end of it, did you? It, it, again, this is just an indication of where he, his mind is. And, and somebody was pointing out, a lot of people were actually pointing out, when Neil Gorsuch was, was you know, nominated for the Supreme Court and later confirmed, we talked about this at the time. And I said, Neil Gorsuch goes to a liberal church. 
he he went to, and I assume he still goes there. Uh, well, he wouldn't go there now, you know, regularly because he's in Washington. But St. John's Episcopal Church in Boulder, Colorado, and the pastor, uh, this was at the time in 2017, was Susan Springer, who after Donald Trump's election to the White House, uh, had some interesting things to say. You know what? We'll take a break. We'll come right back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, what a rotten decision at the Supreme Court yesterday. Two alleged conservatives signed on. Justice Neil Gorsuch, a Trump appointee, wrote the opinion in the case of the Bostock case, saying that despite the fact that Title VII has no protections under federal civil rights law for sexual orientation and gender identity. The Supreme Court's just going to recognize it as that, even though that's not what is in the wording of Title VII and it wasn't the intent of the people who wrote Title VII. And even though it is the purview of Congress to pass laws a la ENDA, which failed every single year for about 20 years because Congress was smart enough to know what a rotten piece of legislation it was. Now, the Supreme Court just stepped in and did it for him because I guess now when you have the duty to interpret the law, it actually means to make it, <laughs> it make the law, you know, I mean, it really, it's just words on a page after all, folks, just words on a page. And we live in an evolving society. We're a progressive society. We need to move and change and thrive and Things are, we're, we're, we're better than ever. We're better than ever. Yeah, we're better than ever. That's for sure. Some Supreme Court of conservatives, eh? I mean, this is really the point. I was making the point before we went to the break that back at the time Neil Gorsuch's name was submitted, I said, this guy is not going to be good on the gay issue. There's no way. Church Militant reported this back at the time. Reports suggest Neil Gorsuch attends a notably liberal and LGBT-friendly church. The Episcopal Diocese of Colorado is confirming that Gorsuch attends St. John's Episcopal Church in Boulder, Colorado. The pastor, well, I should say pastrix, Susan Springer, said this after Donald Trump's election to the White House. This is what she wrote. We have endured a year of vitriol and division. We have watched the steady erosion of decency and respectful public discourse. Yesterday, a milestone was passed. And now today we have an opportunity. We have a decision to make about whether we or not we will watch in horror and dismay or roll up our sleeves and offer ourselves as examples of a different way of relating and living. After the Orlando massacre at a gay nightclub in 2016, where 49 people died, St. John's decided to ring its church bells every Wednesday from July 6th to the election on November 8th as a way of advocating for stricter gun control. And they said in a Facebook post, we hope the ringing compels our elected lawmakers to hear and remember their solemn duty to both the living and the dead to stop political posturing and to work together to pass legislation that fosters greater safety. So is anybody really surprised if that's the church that you freely attend? You really think you're going to be, you know, the next Scalia? It's just so disappointing. 
Here, I, you know what? I'm fully admitting this. When, when conservatives were initially defending President Trump, and there is a lot to defend him on when it comes to religious liberty protections and the pro-life issue, one of the biggest ones has been, but look what he's done in the courts. And he has made some good appointments in the courts. He's made a lot of appointments to different courts. And I'm sure a lot of those will turn out to be good appointments. But this isn't making it any better. It's not making it any better. Daniel Horowitz over at Conservative Review actually has a terrific piece. And he, he's so solid. But he said conservatives get massacred by fake conservative SCOTUS. And it's not just in this case either. He said within 35 minutes uh, at 10 a.m. Eastern yesterday, what some thought was the most conservative Supreme Court of all time concocted a fundamental right to transgenderism in the context of labor law, erased the Second Amendment, and interfered with a state death penalty case, but declined to interfere with a California law that criminalizes law enforcement cooperation with federal immigration agents. Taken in totality, the conservative legal movement, which has promoted the idea of appointing better judges rather than fighting the entire concept of judicial supremacism, has failed miserably. This was its Waterloo. I agree with them. The judicial supremacism is the issue that really has to be fought and won. Now, on the issue of police, I, I want to shift a little bit because I want to talk about this. I want to be sure to get this in. As you know, there has been a lot of upheaval over the issue of defunding police, which is completely insane. I, I think that goes without saying. And you have a Newsbusters piece here that said ABC, CBS and NBC have been turning out all this coverage over the protests, if you want to call them that, over the last couple of weeks. But the same networks have spent almost no airtime letting viewers know about the injuries and deaths that have been inflicted on police officers during these couple of weeks of social unrest. And as of June 9th, for example, not a single protest related instance of violence against police has received more than 40 seconds on any of the networks. Disgraceful, but not surprising. Well, a piece came out that I really appreciated, and it was from a man by the name of Travis Yates. You might have seen this. He's a Tulsa, Oklahoma police major, and he wrote a piece over at lawofficer.com, and it was just a piece from the heart, and I want to read it to you because I think it's so good you need to hear it. They're talking about, you know, getting rid of the cops. They're going to do this in Minneapolis. I predict it's going to last about two weeks, <laughs> maybe, and then people will come to their senses. Or the entire intelligent population of Minneapolis will have fled and just leave the rest of the people to their insanity. This is what Travis Yates says. This is the hardest thing I've written. I grew up in a law enforcement family. My father worked his way up to the rank of captain at the Fort Smith, Arkansas Police Department. As a kid, I remember going with him on Friday to pick up his check, and I was in awe of these superheroes he worked around. They were funny and fun to be around. My dad sacrificed a lot, and so did my late mother. Whether it was the week-long surveillance or wiretap or chasing drug runners, he gave it his all for my family and worked plenty of extra details to never let our family be without. Some would call that privilege, but where I grew up, it was called hard work. The kids at school thought it was cool what my dad did, and while he sometimes asked me if anyone gave me a hard time, they never did. There was a respect among all, even the kids in shop class. I didn't grow up wanting to be a cop, but one fateful night as a freshman in college, that all changed. I went on a ride along, and my life's journey would never be the same. After four years of college, my dad wanted me at an agency that respected that education. So I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma at 21 and never looked back. I didn't know anyone. All I knew was what I saw my dad do. I saw a lot of other cops working hard as well and doing all they could to keep the community safe. 27 years have passed, and if you would have told me the condition of law enforcement today, I would have never believed you. 
It's not that law enforcement has changed for the worse, but everything around it has. The mentally ill used to get treatment, and now they just send cops. Kids used to be taught respect, and now it's cool to be disrespectful. Supervisors used to back you when you were right, but now they accuse you of being wrong in order to appease crazy people. Parents used to get mad at their kids for getting arrested, and now they get mad at us. The media used to highlight the positive contribution our profession gave to society, and now they either ignore it or twist the truth for controversy to line their own pockets. There used to be a common respect among criminals. If they got caught, they understood you had a job to do, but now it's our fault they sit in handcuffs rather than their own personal decisions. If someone attacked a cop, they were seen as such. Now we martyr them and sue for millions. With all this talk about racism and racist cops, I've never seen people treated differently because of their race. And while I know that cowards that have never done this job will call me racist for saying it, all I've ever seen was criminal behavior and cops trying to stop it, and they didn't give a rip what their skin color was. I've seen cops help and save any type of race, gender, or ethnicity you can think of. And while that used to mean something, no one cares anymore. I've been called every name you can think of, and many of them with racial overtones, and it's never come from cops. I've watched African-American cops take the brunt of this, and even talked one rookie out of quitting after he was berated by a lot of cowards that had the same skin color as him. I've heard words I never heard before, being a cop, and the police officers are insulted and don't retaliate. They just take it. Despite that, it's been the greatest opportunity of my life to do this job. I would have recommended it to anyone, but today all of that is over. I wouldn't wish this job on my worst enemy. I would never send anyone I cared about into this profession and what it's become. It's the only job you can do everything right and lose everything. It's the only job where the same citizens you risk your life for hate you for it. It's the only segment left in society where it's cool to discriminate and judge just because of the uniform you wear. You never get to explain. You can never reason with them. The nasty words have now turned into rocks and bottles and gunfire. I've watched it happen to those around me, and I've seen the total destruction of their life. This job is a walking time bomb, and you could get canceled or prosecuted on the very next call, even if you do everything right. No profession has to deal with that. Doctors kill 250,000 people a year and they call them medical mistakes because society understands that they do a very difficult job under high stress and they must make the best possible decision in the moment. Law enforcement is tasked with the same and we're highly successful. 96% are attacking us with weapons and all but a few others are attacking us with their cars or their fists and more and more with simulated guns so Benjamin Crump can help their family win the lottery. And yet less than a thousand suspects are killed a year. There's more. We'll pause. We'll come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child, and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural-born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved 
involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. A gift of $22 will provide one ultrasound, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Tulsa, Oklahoma, Police Major Travis Yates wrote a great piece over at LawOfficer.com talking about how he just can't take it anymore as a cop. He's got an article at LawOfficer.com called America We Are Leaving, picking up where we left off. He talked about the fact that despite the fact we have the most violent society we've ever seen, less than a thousand suspects are killed a year and most are attacking the police with weapons. I've seen cops risk their own lives when they shouldn't have just to keep from taking one. They never get the credit that other professions get. Cowards are all around us. From chiefs to sheriffs to politicians, no one has our back. Now the little we have, we are told they are going to defund us or even abolish us. Citizens with a political agenda will reign over us, and all you have to do is wake up and put on a uniform to be a racist. I've received death threats for just doing my job. It would have been outrageous a decade ago and made national news. Now it's just a Monday. There will be more threats, more accusations of racism, more lies told about us. I used to talk cops out of leaving the job. Now I'm encouraging them. It's over, America. You finally did it. You aren't going to have to abolish the police. We won't be around for it. And while I know most Americans still appreciate us, it's not enough and the risk is too high. Those of you that say thank you or buy the occasional meal, it means everything. But those of you that were silent while the slow turning of the knives in our backs happened by thugs and cowards, this is on you. Wow. Your belief in hashtags and memes over the truth has and will create an environment in your community that you will never expect. If you think Minneapolis will turn into Mogadishu and that is far from you, it's coming. And when it does, remember what your complicity did. This is the America that you made. Good article. Good article. He was on recently on Fox News. I wanted to play a little bit of what he had to say, summarizing his thoughts. This is cut five. I wrote that Monday night late and uh, it was almost like God was with me when I wrote it because it just flowed in about nine or 10 minutes. And uh, quite honestly, when I got done with it, I wasn't sure I liked it. And uh, I, I uploaded it. And I called my editor the very next morning. I said, we ought to think about maybe taking that down, right? And, uh, of course, he didn't take it down, and the rest is history. But uh, I think I was pulling the emotions from officers around the country and what they're feeling. Uh, Tucker, very much so, we're the silent majority. Uh, Officers are afraid to speak out. They're afraid to talk. Just like the article said, you're only your next call away from being canceled or destroyed. And, uh, and so officers feel very limited. I think citizens do, too. And, and we had just as many citizens that comment on that article and send us great emails on that. Which is great. But what is the effect here? He goes on. This is Major Yates. Cut six. 
Well, I think, uh, you know, Ferguson was a tough time for us because, as everybody knows, uh, from President Obama's administration, they found no evidence of wrongdoing in Ferguson, even though the narrative is quite different. And so law enforcement morale went really, really low during that time period. And uh, and we kind of came out of that. We were kind of making a resurgence in recent years. And and this has just been devastating. This is Ferguson times a thousand. And uh, every department, every officer you talk to uh, is looking to leave. Some of them obviously can't. They have families. They've got jobs. But the officers that are probably struggling the most are the officers with 10 to 15 years on because you can't really leave yet. Uh, But uh, I've heard from hundreds of people uh, that are so discouraged they want to leave. They love the job, Tucker. They love the community. They love the people. Uh, but all of this chaos is just wearing on them every single day. Well, think about the implications if you begin to see the disbanding of police departments. That's complete anarchy. I, and there's a part of me that says, how in the world would that ever be tolerated? Most of the people in the United States are not to the point where they would buy into this insanity. But can you blame him? I can't blame him. And what about this whole situation with what happened in Atlanta? It's terrible. Dan Bongino actually had a very good point to make on this issue of what happened with Richard Brooks and the shooting that occurred there. And then the Wendy's was torched. I mean, everybody's been seeing this on the news. But he gave a little perspective, uh, you know, about this issue where you had Brooks pointing a taser at the officer. What should a cop do in that situation? And this is what he had to say. This is cut three. If you're pretending this is a black or white use of force scenario, officer was bad and the subject was uh, was good in some respect, then um, I'm really sorry, but you should refrain from commenting because that's not at all what happened here. Listen, it's a tragedy. The man died. Nobody wants that. Can we just be clear on that? Nobody. I'm getting tired of me putting boxes on this, too. What did you want the guy to die? Of course not. Don't be stupid. Don't talk like that. That's that's not helping. But we live in a time where the temperature is never coming down at all. And it doesn't come down in our culture and our society because people want to inflame the situation rather than look at it reasonably. If you're a police officer trained in a use of force continuum, what do you do? You have a man alleged to be intoxicated who's behind the wheel of a car blocking the window in the Wendy's. The Wendy's call, Steve. These officers didn't show up because they had nothing to do. They didn't show up because they wanted a burger. They showed up because the Wendy's called the police. Do you just not show up? Okay, now that you've shown up, the man takes a breathalyzer. It's alleged, I don't have the, but it's alleged the man was drunk. What do you do then? You let him get back behind the wheel? Okay, obviously not. Now you have to arrest him. The man doesn't want to be arrested. He violently attacks the police officer on video. What do you do now? Let him beat the snot out of you to your death, take your gun and shoot you? Okay, then he takes your taser. One more. He runs away. He then proceeds after running away to stick the taser, point it in your face and discharge it. What do you do then? You just let him go? I, I don't understand what people who are inflaming rather than trying to help the situation wanted these officers to do here. I don't think it goes that far. I don't think you're talking about people who are really looking at it logically. It's emotional. Everybody's in a heightened state. Everybody's marching. Everybody's rioting. Everybody's you know, in on all this mob action. And we all know what happens when you get into a mob mentality. There's no logic or reason going on. It's just pure rage. Now, what would he have done as a police officer in this situation? This is Dan Bongino again on Fox Cut 4. Well, running away is is candidly irrelevant on this. Running away when you're not a threat, don't have a weapon, there's no evidence you had a weapon is one thing. 
running away when you violently attacked a police officer, stole one of his weapons and discharged the weapon at the police officer is an entirely different scenario. There's a lot of confusion out there. And it really candidly bothers me when people talk about this and don't understand basic use of force rules. The use of force rules do not dictate anywhere that there has to be a deadly threat to someone else. There has to be a threat of serious physical injury or death for you to use deadly force. A police officer who was witnessing someone attacking someone else with a bat or firing a taser in their face doesn't have to say, well, I have to use an equal amount of force, meaning I have to get my bat or I have to hit him with my taser. That's not the way use of force works. I know it's uncomfortable for people to hear, but what would I do, candidly? Not much different. And I know that's painful, and I know a lot of people say, oh my gosh, we could have maybe, maybe you could have shot him in the legs. That's not how police officers are trained. That is not how they're, they're trained to stop a scenario with their firearm. They're not trained to kill. That is a myth. They are trained to stop. And when you fire your weapon, God forbid, you fire at center mass because you have the most likelihood of engaging with the target in center right. mass and not someone else in the parking lot. You know, all of the Monday morning quarterbacks here, they still have not to explain what they would do when someone turns around who's violently attacked you, pointed a weapon in your face at point blank range. None of them have explained what they're going to do. Wait, you're just going to take it? You're going to take the taser round to the face? I, I mean, it, it, some of the commentary here is candidly juvenile. It is. Now, I think one of the biggest takeaways, though, from that entire exchange, and I think it was great that he made those comments because it is helpful for those of us who are not in law enforcement to hear about how police are trained and what they're supposed to do in certain situations. And if a lot of us would just calm down and listen to this, we would all be better off. But as he pointed out, the temperature's never coming down. What did he mean by that? What he meant by that is no matter what you do, no matter how much appeasement you offer, no matter how many times you get down on your knees and bow before your overlords, whoever they happen to be, whoever is in front of you demanding it, as we've seen so many pictures to that effect in the last several weeks, the temperature's not coming down. And you know, that's the same scenario that I would apply to the Bostock decision, which was handed down yesterday by the U.S. Supreme Court. The temperature's not coming down. If you think, you know, this is interesting. I've had people say, well, after the Obergefell decision, I figured it'll all be over. I mean, it's terrible. You can't redefine marriage, but at least then they'll be happy and they'll go away. And I laughed. (laughs) A very ironic laugh. I said, you don't know gay activists. You don't understand at all. There's no moving the goalpost to a point where the goalpost will stay forever. The goalposts continually move because that's their game. That's the left. You know why? And that's how people act when they don't know what the end game is other than destroying everything, destroy the family, destroy society, destroy capitalism, destroy freedom, destroy the Constitution, destroy Christianity. What comes after the destruction? Hopefully the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know a lot of us are thinking like that, but there's a part of me that says, I don't want to give up yet. I don't want to sacrifice my country to these thugs. I don't want this to be the way that it ends because I have kids and someday I'm going to have grandkids. And it's not enough for me to stand by as an American citizen and a Christian and look at all of this and say, eh, I'm just going to turn it off and go back to my Netflix. I don't have Netflix. So how could I do that? But you get my point? We can't just sit in our easy chairs when our country's on fire and we understand why is it all happening. The Lord is allowing this to happen. But in his wrath, the Lord also remembers mercy. If his people who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and seek his face, then he will turn from heaven, right? 
Have we forgotten that verse? Have we forgotten how merciful our Lord and Savior is to those who will turn to him in faith and repent and plead with him to intervene for this nation that he has blessed beyond description? Let's get on our knees today and beg him for it. That's going to do it for me. We'll see you next time here on Janet Meffer Today. God bless. God bless.